My name's Colin Holliday. We're sitting in the office today of Lisbon People's Support Project, which was originally Lisbon Prisoner Support Project, set up in 1996 to help reintegrate former UDA, UFF prisoners back into society. The UDA is the Ulster Defence Association, which was legal right up to 1992. The UFF is the Ulster Freedom Fighters, which is a military wing, and they have always been a bond organisation. We knew the conflict was over by then. In 1996, and the 98 agreement was on its way, so we were preparing for quite a, a large number of politically motivated ex-prisoners being released onto the streets. I grew up in a small county down village. I'm 62 years of age. I come from a mixed family, Roman Catholic Protestant. I was fourth of eight children. My father and mother were not church-going people, but my grandfather and grandparents would have been. So, you know, we were brought up with that Christian ethos till I was about 16. After that, you make your own decisions in life. I still live within that community, still with a mixed family of nephews, nieces, cousins who are practising Roman Catholics. Some of them aren't, and a majority of our family wouldn't be practising Protestant, but we still keep in touch with the church. Mother always said, keep in, because then they have to bury you. So although we don't go, we, we do have that association of contributing on a monthly basis through the collection sheets. I became a member of the UDA. Strange story. I was in a bad accident and I was off work for over two years at a car. So when I was able to get about, I was asked, would I take prisoners' families to Ramond, which was the Crumlin Road, which I'd done two or three times a week. And then um, I met a man called John McMichael. John was murdered by a provisional IRA in 22nd of December 1987, 30 years last year. John was a great motivator for me. Very soon I became a member of the UDA, again working mostly in lawless prisoners' aid work, taking prisoners down, getting money sorted out for them, helping the families. Then I was approached. I didn't go to them. They said, look, we think you've got a skill here that we could use in the military. I went through a process of interviews. When I decided that I wanted to go join the military, the guy that was doing my interviews, he was off-putting. He kept saying, are you sure you want to do this? And I remember to this day, he says to me, once you make this decision, your life changes forever. I didn't know at that time just how much it would change. He said to me, if you're lucky, you'll end up in prison. If you're unlucky, you'll end up dead. And if you're very unlucky, you'll go to prison and they'll kill you when you come out. And you know, everything he said was exactly true. I obviously ended up in prison. I could have been assassinated myself. And I knew people who were assassinated after doing prison service but that was the life and times I had a choice I was in prison twice during the conflict I was in prison in 1987 and 1991 released in June of 1996 so spent about six years in prison everything that I'd done it was through a choice of me believing that's what I needed to do I was very fortunate to survive because I say I know some very good friends and comrades that didn't make it till where we are today and would love to have been here but that's the price you pay for conflict. I come from a family who were very much involved with the security forces. My brother was a member of the British Army. Another brother was in the UDR. My cousins were in the RUC and the RUC Reserve. But to be honest, I tried to keep everything distant from my family. You become a strange being in this sort of a world. You almost convince yourself through your lying 
And that's what it was, lying. You know, when my house would have been searched, I made excuses. And you were always deflecting your family's questions. But it soon became obvious telling them something wasn't right. When I went to prison, my mother came down, as mothers do, and gave me an ear bashing. But she says, that's it. You're in jail. You get your time. My father, who's still alive today at 90, he was 90 years there last year, never accepted it and never will accept it. I call with him every day during the week. And it's really a battle of minds who's deflecting most. He will never accept and never forgive me for what I've done. I don't try to argue and fight with him now. But sometimes I have to get up and walk out of the room. Say he's 90 years of age, but he's as sharp as a needle. And he, he never misses me about how I blackened the family name. How I should never ever been involved in what I was involved with. So if anything comes on in the news, like on Monday, when the three lawless paramilitary organisations issued their statement about criminality and how they want to move on. He was quite quick to point out to me that I had wasted most of my life following those people who didn't give a damn about me. But that's not the reality of it. I welcomed the statement. The statement was issued on Monday, the day before the 20th anniversary of Good Friday, and it was a statement on behalf of the Ulster Volunteer Force, the Ulster Defence Association and the Red Hand Commando, who were the three main loyalist organisations involved in the conflict was to say that we don't want to be involved with criminality and drugs. We don't want to be involved with lawbreakers. There's only one law of the land, that's the PSNI, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, which came on after the disbandment of the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Everybody should go to there with their needs. I welcome that, I support it 100%. You can't be a loyalist and a criminal, and you can't be a drug dealer and a loyalist. We have to make it clear. So it's up to the police service to sort these people out. And people are trying to move forward. Like I have moved forward. The person I was in prison, right up to even after my release, I still had very strong beliefs, very conscious of what I was involved with in and what I needed still to be involved in. But as time goes on, you look back and you reflect. It's no point in saying you're sorry because being sorry doesn't change what has happened. I'm sorry what I brought onto my parents, the disgrace I brought to my parents, the heartache I brought to my family. What I see now is as a continuation of what that conflict was. It's not armed conflict, it's not physical conflict, but there is still work to be done. It's the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. I didn't support the Good Friday Agreement, and I can't hand and heart say today that I do. Because of my background, I would have been talking to volunteers, going to units right around the country, trying to convince them that the political people were telling us that the way forward. But deep within my heart, I didn't agree to it. And when the, the election come, when the vote come, below 72% throughout the country voted for the Good Friday Agreement. I voted no. And when we done a survey within our constituents, 70% of the people that I would have been associated with voted against it. It's better the way it is. I would put it on hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who are alive today, who, if that agreement hadn't been ratified, would be dead today. So I accept it as a Democrat, and I've learned to live with it. I don't think it was thought out right. When you start to tell people it has to be sorted today or there can't be no tomorrow, it puts pressure on people. And I think we're seeing now 20 years later, because the Good Friday wasn't rubber stamped right with legacy, with a Bill of Rights, with civic form, stuff that we were promised. Yes, it was great to see the end of violence. Yes, it was great to see everybody engaging in politics. But 
loyalism achieved nothing out of it. I could sit here and be very envious of Sinn Féin. I see their MLAs, member of the Legislative Assembly, which isn't sitting at the moment, and their MPs. And they've done great, and good luck to them. They have 14 or 15 uh, members of the Legislative Assembly who were former political prisoners. Now, we don't get that in the lawless side. We never had that opportunity. There was a few working class lawless, the PUP, Progressive Unionist Party, which would be seen affiliated to the Ulster Volunteer Force. Got a couple of people elected, David Irvine and Billy Hutchison. But within our side of the Ulster Democratic Party, which was a political wing then, we got near to the fans. Our candidate was well ahead in the first preference votes. We couldn't get any transfer. It was the Social Democratic Labour Party, which would be very much an Iceless party. They got the seat. We work hard 24-7 for our community. I'm law-abiding. For three years, I was sitting on the Police and Community Safety Partnership. I really enjoyed it. That was a big step for lawless. Although people will tell you lawlessism and the police went hand in hand. Definitely didn't. Police tortured me. They hounded me. They humiliated me. They done everything to try to break me. So I had no love for police. But I find it worthwhile. And I would encourage any young lawless to get engaged with that there. I want good, transparent, open policing. I don't want police beating people off the street. I had all that there. I witnessed it and I was a victim of it. We have to change, we have to move forward. But I don't think the media in this country has moved forward. Good news doesn't sell. I could show you a real good project that we have here, how we're moving a community forward, how we're moving former paramilitaries to a situation where their past is their past. Yet every weekend we're stigmatised in the paper by what we done 25, 30 years ago. But we went to prison for them offences. We've come out different people. So although everything has had to change in this country, from the legal system to the security forces, the Ulster Defence Regiment were done away with, the RUC was done away with, the PSNI has been brought on. Everybody has been asked to change. Republicans have been asked, lawless have been asked. The media are still locked in this old, let's hook out, dirt about people. I went through the Diplac Court system. It's still in the statutory books here. Diplac Court is, you don't get a, a judge and a jury. You get a judge, you get two offers. You can plead guilty, you can plead not guilty, but you're going to be found guilty anyway. Because who can you try to put your story across? To? A judge who's sitting with all the evidence that special brands can put in front of him. So you're basically given a deal, and that's what it's called. See if you accept a deal. You get it. See if you don't accept the deal, they double it up and they find you guilty anyway. Because we went through that black court system, we can be discriminated against through car insurance, home insurance, adoption of children, travel. Once you put your head up onto that public platform, they're honing in on you, always trying to discredit you. And I think at one time, a few years ago, there was a, a Republican group done a survey and 26 people named that the newspapers on a Sunday ended up murdered. So it shows you the power and influence they have. They can destroy families just with an article in a paper, which you have no redress to go back on. They don't want to come out and look at this here. They don't want to see the girls volunteering in here to help this wide community. They don't want to come and see the migrants that have moved in here who are living peacefully, fully integrated, who work with us, where you come, your religion's never asked. 
your political background's never asked. They don't want to know that. It's the old cliche, good news doesn't sell. But we want to move on. Loyalism to loyalism want to move on. I want to see a peaceful, prosperous Northern Ireland. I don't think there'll be a united Ireland in my lifetime. I remember my grandfather, who died in 1972, saying to me, there'll be a united Ireland in my lifetime. It's the one thing I want to prove him wrong on. Brexit obviously is having a big impact. Now, although I voted against the Good Friday Agreement, I voted remain in Brexit. But again, the democratic vote says we're leaving. So I have to accept that there, right? So if I had to accept a Good Friday Agreement, I have to accept Brexit, even though I voted to remain. And quite a few of our constituents would have voted to remain because we had got quite comfortable. Um, how it pans out 12 months' time from here, I don't think anybody really knows, but there's a lot of scaremongering going on, especially around the Irish border. The United Kingdom government, I think, will do everything in their power to make sure that when Brexit comes, the Irish border is still there, but there's not going to be mile upon mile of, of hold-ups as there was in the past. It wouldn't make sense anyway from a security point of view because like, who's going to stand there and make himself a target? No, I wouldn't I want that on anybody. So there is a lot of hard times coming on us. But the only good thing about it is no matter what has been dealt to us, and we've had police officers murdered, we've had British soldiers murdered, we've had prison officers murdered, we've had murders within our own community, we still sit down with those who we had seen in the past as enemy. I don't see them as enemy now. I see them as political opponents, although they are aspire to unite Ireland. It's maybe my job and people like me to tell them, look, you're far better off in this United Kingdom. Forget about a United Ireland. Let's unite the people of this country. My background's welfare rights and a mediator. I'm fully trained up. I got a bit stale and I was asked, look, there's a project coming up called Prison to Peace. Would like you to take one of the posts up. So I thought about it and I had become stale. You know, you're going into the office at nine o'clock in the morning, you're coming home at five and welfare rights is great while you're winning, but times you can get farried all down. So I decided to go to it. I made a few inquiries first. I said, well, what does it entail? I remember him saying to me, well, you're going to be in the room with the professional IRA, the official IRA, the Irish National Liberation Army and the UVF. And automatically I thought, well, every one of those organisations have killed friends of mine or family. Now, I got a bit of opposition from my family when I said to them, go take this. And I said, look, get you away from all that stuff. What do you want to do? You sure you're going in there, you have a great job, a great salary? I says, no, I got a bit stale. I remember the first meetings. They weren't very nice. I was sitting, everybody, there was no such a thing as walking in saying hello and shaking hands. It was everybody was on, everybody out. And I wonder what he done or... In many cases, we knew what they'd done. I'm sure they had done their homework on us too. I worked with it till 2015. And I think if there's one thing that has really badly let the country down, letting prison to peace go to the wall. It kept everybody in. I remember when Masserine happened. Masserine barracks up in Armagh. Soldiers were getting ready the next day to leave to Afghanistan. And on a Saturday evening, seemingly the ordered pizzas and dissent Republicans had been watching this or somebody had tipped them off when they came out for their pizzas two men with automatic assault rifles were waiting on them and shot two of them dead that created a lot of problems 
that Saturday night, I got a call. My phone was going ballistic. Very unhappy people. And I said, look, we need to talk to people. We need to talk to Republicans. We need to get their view of it. And then on the Monday night after that, Constable Carr was murdered in Craig Avon, an area I do a lot of work in. Mid-Ulster would have been very, very active during the conflict. I mean, regularly people were being murdered. Constable Carr, a PSNI officer and a colleague, were lured into a bogus call in Craig Avon. Well, it wasn't bogus. They broke a window and the lady in the house obviously phoned the police. And again, he was shot dead. So people weren't happy. But we coordinated everything with Republicans and said, look, we can't run underground here, boys. We have to get up here. So Sinn Féin came out and made very good statements. Lawless engaged with their community and come out and back stuff. And we were able to work together and get everything smoothed over. Where in the past, when that had happened, everybody just would have fell away. Fell back into your trenches. Looked up a couple of days later or a month later and says, is it safe to come out? We didn't do that. Those who never really signed up to what we wanted to go to and places we wanted to get to, they were the first ones saying, told you this was never going to work. We need to do A, B, C and D. And we were going, but you can't do that. We're engaged with these people now. So we were able to keep a cap on that. I can tell you, myself and another senior colleague spent three days and three nights encamped in Mid-Ulster telling people, you can't retaliate. There's to be no retaliation. And they weren't happy. But after the turnaround said, you were right. So we were able to work on that there through the prison to peace. And over the number of years I said, I was there for about six or seven years. I built up trust and respect. I got a knowledge of Republicans that I could never have got through conflict because the only time you come across them was when you were in conflict with them. But sitting down, speaking to them, talking to them, hearing their story, and I should say that they were listening to our story. We have kept that going even through the prison to peace quit in 2015. I still keep in touch with all the main Republican groups, uh, professionals through COISTA, Chechnafalcha, which would be INLA, and the official Republican movement, which is the Plow Culture. I still work with those people, so I do, and will continue it. Because that's one thing we said. Look, lads, no matter what happens here, we're still going to have to come back to that table. So the best part of that there is don't leave the table. Because when you leave the table, you have to rebuild. So we said we're not leaving the table, no matter what. We worked through many hard things. In 2007, our military wing, the Ulster Freedom Fighters, was stood down. Again, it took a lot of talking to people. Late in tonight, I remember being threatened. You'll never stand us down. You'll never do that. But they come on board. And once Republicans had put their weapons and decommissioned, it was only a natural that lawless would have to do it. I think they'd done it very well. They got rid of the military wing. So the argument when you get rid of the military wing is, what do you need weapons for? Because you've no military men to use them. So the next logical step is getting rid of the weapons, putting weapons beyond use. And three years later, we achieved that there, achieved it very successfully. And then in 2011, having to engage with policing. But by that time, Republicans were clearly engaging with police. Big, big step for them. I remember being in Cardiff at the British Irish in 2006, when it was only being debated. And on the plane home, because of the planes at that time and flights and stuff, I actually was coming home on my own. I remember sitting thinking and saying, I can't understand 
why these people would how they could ever sell it to their people but they did but like everything else some people walked away policing was probably the hardest thing i had to sell to work on and those people who walked away at that time probably still wouldn't talk to me but i don't lose any sleep over it i know it was the right thing to do when the other comrades and friends who were in real difficult positions who had friend family murdered who done long sentences in prison when they come up and tell you you're doing right you don't worry about the doubters so those people is what pushes me on what motivates me what gets me up in the morning I mean, there was a shooting there on Tuesday night. That's criminal day. That's gangs of drug dealers who offer nothing to their community. We need to get the police right. If the police do their job better, it makes mine easier. And we keep telling them that. We need more police officers on the ground. But we're in a situation of austerity where that just can't happen overnight. But policing on the streets gives the community empowerment to go to them and engage. When there's no policing, and we say this clearly to them, when you're not policing our areas, you leave a void where the poor multis are being put under that pressure. I've still people coming to my door, and I'll go to them. Like twice this week, I've had incidents, and both have come out okay, because people listen to me, and I say, no, this is what you need to do. You need to get on to the police, or I'll phone the police on your behalf. If I'd have done that 10 years ago, I would have been shot dead for it. I've had young people stop at me and call me a traitor and sell out. And, you know, they're 18 years of age. What do they know? See, when I was 18, I thought I knew everything too. But they've never been involved in conflict. They've never been imprisoned. It ruins you financially. In many cases, it ruins people emotionally. They never get over it. The former political prisoner will always be at the foremost for me. But as time goes on, there's less and less work. So we realised we had to embrace a bigger community. And it can't just be the former political prisoner, the former combatant. So in 2011, after a long period of consultation with our members, with our community, we decided to change the name, to move away from the prisoner stigma to people. So it's Lisbon People's Support Project. Now, we're cross-community. We deal with everybody from the 1st of May here there's a new project coming out called Open Doors and this probably will be the last piece money we will get. What we will do is continue the work we're doing. We go into schools, we talk to young people and we tell them about what the real truth is about when you become involved in paramilitaries and conflict. When you go to prison, the media again here, they have a lot to answer for. They portrayed prison within Northern Ireland and that would be the Mays Long Case Prison as some kind of a hotel. Trust me, it was far from it. I was in the Crumlin Road when two lawless were murdered in 1991 by a Republican bomb. That's not a hotel. We need to tell these young people, 16 or 17, who are getting some way brainwashed that it's great to be doing this here because they did think it. So we have worked with hundreds through schools, through youth clubs, and myself would go in, other lawless go in. We always have a lawless and Republican and we always sing from the same hymn sheet. We've been fully trained. We've done this here in conjunction with uh, Queen's University. We go into people who are on the fringes of being recruited by dissident Republicans. And I don't call them dissident lawless because they're not. They're criminals. But they will go to young people and say, Ah, see, holiday, yesterday's man. What would he know? Listen, 
You do a wee bit of drug dealing for us, wee bit of smashing a few people up, you'll be all right. But then see once they're caught by the police, they're jettisoned. They go into prison, their life's ruined. One of the big projects we worked on here was during the flag protest, 2012, Belfast City Council, through a Sinn Féin motion, decided to remove the Union flag from Belfast City Hall. It's now designated days. The youth of the country went ballistic. Ballistic. Young kids at 17 and 18 who were never ever coming to the attention of the law were breaking the law by going to parades, by getting involved in violence and attacking police. And we were the people that was going out onto the ground and saying, hi guys, what you're doing is wrong. Yes, Sinn Féin were wrong. Take the flag down. But what you're doing is wrong. Now, those people there in the background, egging them on, they weren't getting their hands dirty. But hundreds of young people of our community went through the court system. Now, they're now stigmatised because they've all been convicted. Hundreds of them have been convicted. And there would have been hundreds more if it was not for us in our community going out to them and saying, I've been there, I've done it, I've wore the badge. Let me tell you, you're ruining your life. We have people who here now who come into our project who were caught up in that, who got convictions. And now we are working to try and, and they'll say to us, well, we would listen to you. Well, we would heard your talks. I'm pushing for education within our youth. There is a very low attainment of education within the Protestant community. Now, that comes back to, I was well educated. But when I come 15, I left school and I followed my brothers in the apprenticeship. There was plenty of jobs. But my three grandchildren, I've won at Queen's University, I've won at Lisbon Tech, and won at a high school. I keep pushing them. And it's hard for their father and mother because education isn't cheap now. I make sure that I can contribute as much as I can to keep them at their education. Because once they get educated, they can't take that education away from them. I remember talking to a Republican many years ago in one of the first conversations. And he said to me, Colin, See, when I was growing up, the first thing my dad done was put food on the table. And the second thing he done was give us education and made us get it. You can see it in the system now. You know, at every level, it's been nationalists who went through an education and we are really struggling. But it's a big problem to convince our people. Look, you have to get up with your arse. You have to push your kids. Many of them are reluctant to do it because they had no education themselves. And kids coming home in the evening... I love sitting down with mine, we're coming home and doing homework with them. But I know a whole lot of people, as soon as the kids talked about homework, oh, I have to go out. And they hadn't been out of the house all day. They just couldn't face letting their kids know that they weren't able to do it. We need to keep the peace process going. It's fragile. I don't think there's any chance of us going back to conflict. There's an element of Republicans out there who are quite capable of killing every now and again. And we do see the criminal elements within loyalism who are more than capable of going out and murdering somebody who tries to stand up to them. But that's where we need a good police force to deal with it. If they deal with that robustly, that'll let communities move on.